Hey everybody, your pal Ruark here. Uh, just want to let you know that this episode isn't going to make a whole lot of sense unless you watch the fan film Flight from Shadow that was released uh, uh, several years ago. Uh, we've uh, included a link to that in the show notes for this episode. I recommend going and watching it first if you haven't seen it before, before listening to this episode. And we're going to include two links in there. One of them is going to uh, bypass the opening scene, which is a little bit spoilery for those of you who are trying to avoid show spoilers. Uh, for anybody who's read the books or anybody who doesn't care about spoilers, uh, we'll also include a link that starts it from the beginning. And uh, yeah, uh, go ahead and uh, pause this for a minute. Go watch that that fan film. It's only about 20 minutes long, so just make sure you've got 20 minutes worth of time to uh, sit down and, and just enjoy that. And then, uh, yeah, come back here and, and we'll, uh, we'll be waiting for you. Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by my co-host, Saima. What up, wheelies? And, of course, our panel of newbies. Say hello, panel. Hey, hello, everybody. Panel. A little bit smaller than usual panel today, but we love it anyway. We've got some Mario with us. Happy Juneteenth. We've got David. I am not Picard. And we've got DW. I'm not Picard either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, and uh, yeah, this episode it's uh, we're we're talking about a a fan film that was filmed many years ago. Um, it it pretty much takes a chapter out of the first book of the Wheel of Time and and turns it into a little short film. It's called Flight from Shadow. Uh, it was written by Blake Castleman and directed by David Skosen. Um, and, and it's, it's a fun little, fun little fan film that they made about 25, 30 minutes long. Uh, I recommend everybody go out and watch it. Although be wary, uh, the first intro part of it can, it's not anything from the books directly, but it could cause uncomfortable spoilery-ish questions. So <laughs> you, you might want to avoid that. We, we provided our, our panel here with a, an edited version of that <laughs> to, to keep the spoilers out. Uh, but I did share with them some pictures from that edited section of a mirror draw that they had. Um, and I just wanted to hear your reactions to that mirror draw really quick before we actually get into the meat of this show. Um, it's a big no for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a don't ask questions, just run kind of deal. So not no is in no that that's bad makeup. No is in you see that and you're like, oh uh, no. Yeah, no, it's time to go. Yeah. <laughs> I see where the budget was put into this one. I mean, a fan film obviously doesn't have the budget of a production like this. Yeah. So so I see that it wasn't of the same budget, and I like the one from the show more. However. Well done for fan film, seriously. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, and and their mirror draw, I can say, is somewhat closer to a book mirror draw than the actual television show is, um, in that the book mirror draw do have black hair um, and do look more more uh, human like. Uh, but I, I love the direction that they went in the actual show. It, it's much more creepy, in my opinion. I agree. 
It had to have been hard to act behind those uh, bars in the eyes. Then again, I don't know we're getting a huge amount of acting from the Mirdrals in the, in the show. Like, I'm, I'm not hearing a lot of Shakespeare out of them. <laughs> now I want to hear Mirdral Shakespeare. Do we? Actually, yes, I, I agree. You want to hear it in the original Mirdral? Yeah, yeah, in the, in the original old tongue. Uh, so we're just going to get right into this, uh, start with our recap. Um, and it starts with a close-up on a map. Um, the map is showing us a, a familiar location, Tarvalon, and it moves down the map and eventually shows Camelin and Four Kings, which are to the south of Tarvalon. It switches over to Rand, Rand and Matt on the road, who are walking towards Four Kings. And Matt's saying, uh, we haven't seen Dark Friends or a Fade in days. Maybe we outran them after Whitebridge. Matt's like, hey, uh, why don't we stop up here and get a motel? And Rand's like, but uh, remember Mirdral? Matt's like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to get a room. And the wagon puller that's, uh, that they're following uh, seems strangely okay with their conversation about dark friends and fades and just says, oh, yeah, there's a nice hotel over there that you can use. <laughs> Did you pick up anything out of this? I'm wondering. It was that, actually, the moment with the random stranger where the first time I watched this, I was like, oh, that's nice because I'm real dozy like that with strangers, too. And then the second time around, I was like, hold up, why why is this conversation about dark friends and dark species? Why are you so strangely chill about this? That's that's suspicious. That's weird. <laughs> Definitely created that suspicion. But I also noticed that uh, even in this one, Matt is all about the comfort over the caution. Yes, yes, very much so. That that is a through line with Matt. You know, you'll come to learn. Um, so, uh, the next scene, we see them making their way up into town and we see a bunch of town life. Uh, we see people playing the game of stones. Uh, we see food stalls, people cooking, people selling wares, um, and Rand, uh, on his way into town bumps into this unbelievably attractive and charismatic person. Uh, and, and it, quite rudely, I might add, uh, the, the, the <laughs> charismatic person did have rather unfortunate facial hair, but you know, it, you, you'd have to be there. It, it was the times and, you know, that was kind of the in thing. And, but, uh, but yeah, so they continue on into town after that. Um, did, did we notice anything here? Well, I, I would like to address that really quickly, just to the fact that I was trying honestly to figure out where this was shot because it seemed very familiar to me. And then I realized I had never been there because there you were in the film. Um, so I was like, oh, I know exactly where this was filmed. It was not anywhere I've been with any regularity. Um, no comment from need, the peanut gallery. I didn't gallery. mean to kill the conversation. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I personally myself think that that this actor probably deserves the the Oscar and the Emmy and and the Grammy <laughs> and the whatever else for for this performance because it was a stunning performance. I had a sneaking suspicion that it was clearly a planted character that was going to recur in other episodes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Come back with a much bigger role. It was one of those like brief moments, and you're like, wait, I remember that guy from episode one. <laughs> I, I was just wondering where where the stolen purse went afterwards <laughs> oh man dude, uh, you, you would not believe that purse had like three coppers in it man there, there was nothing <laughs> it, it, it wasn't even worth my time bumping into rand there um, two washers a screw <laughs> <laughs> uh we're, we're beating around the bush here but yeah that that was me i was in this fan film it was uh, uh filmed locally to us um and 
Yeah, I'm 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 addressing it here, uh, but we're not going to delve too much into my part in this or or the production of it just yet. We're going to focus this episode just on what you found in the lore and, and interesting yes. in, in the show. But in the future, we're going to have another episode with uh, several other cast members from the show, and, and we'll, we'll talk about all the behind-the-scenes fun stuff. Uh, so look nice. forward to that. In, in uh, We'll say coming soon. I, I, I wanted to say next week, but I'm not going to make any promises I can't necessarily keep. <laughs> so uh, coming soon, take a look for that. Next, we're moving into the town, and there's... A, a, a trial going yeah. on. There's a blacksmith who is being charged with using the one power and is sentenced to death by the local magistrate. Um, and the crowd is shouting down with the false dragon. Uh, Matt and Rand. Rand, of course, wants to be the, the good Boy Scout um, and wants to intervene, and Matt convinces him not to. Um, and they continue on their way through town while uh, in the background, the headsman does his Beth Gallagher impression with uh, the giant <laughs> mallet that he had. Uh, so what are we thinking of this scene? I have a few thoughts. The first one was, I think that, that we didn't see anything like that in the series where the town were really judging people for it. Like we saw what happened, um, uh, you know, with, with the, the fishermen um, and, and we saw that the town didn't like them there, but we didn't necessarily see the town pass judgment or fear the Aes Sedai coming and trying to deal with the process before the Aes Sedai even get there. Mostly what we saw through the series was the Aes Sedai dealing with anybody who was using the one power. But the other thing I found interesting was he didn't seem to be claiming to be the next dragon. And it was, it seemed kind of harsh that it's like, not everybody who suddenly, you know, manages to accidentally make something float is claiming to be the second coming of, or the third coming or the unlimited coming of the dragon. So that was, it was a little harsh. I felt of like this false dragon. He didn't say dragon. He like, I, I, I didn't, what? Did he use the one power even? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of what I'm wondering. It like, felt like a little, a uh, you know, yeah, a witch, a, a witch hunty, uh, you know, build a bridge out of her kind of feeling going there. Does he float in yeah, one? Yeah. You know, I, I feel like he was, you know, behind the forge uh, just showing somebody a little finger trick where, you know, whoa, my thumb is disconnected. Wow. You know, and then next thing you know, he's getting, he's on trial and getting his head squished. So yeah, I, he made this soup taste good. Clearly magic. What does that tell us about how men who can channel are, are really thought of in this world. I mean, not, not that we didn't already know, but I feel like this drives the point home even harder. Hey, nobody They're likes that. scared no. of them. Yeah. They're terrified of them. Though I did notice that the first time I was like, oh, it's because, you know, he's a he channeling, allegedly. The second time I noted that the townsperson said it is illegal for anyone to channel here. And I was like, hmm. Very interesting. You did not specify by gender. It just so happens that the person who channeled this time, allegedly, is a guy, but you said anyone or else the I said I is going to show up. And we know enough now to know that the I said I do scout. And, you know, if they hear somebody has, has a connection to the one pile, they will show up. So... Oh. Do you or do you not like want any Aes Sedai here for any reason and anything that will attract attention or, you know, have your own channeler just in town to do their channeler thing? That's dangerous, too. So and I was just like, hmm, 
and bookmark that in my head for later. So I like that Samari has picked up on the fact that it's not just the fear of male channelers, but channelers full stop feeding into this, you know, that even though the Aes Sedai are in positions of power and meant to be protecting the world, I'm using air quotes here, um, they're still feared as well. So yeah, I like that, that you've kind of got that on this fan film. Very well done. And the thing that really stood out for me as well is... This man, you know, this poor man gets his head squished by this giant mallet right in front of his wife and children who would have got, you know, some of that blood squirted on them. That's pretty horrific. It was like um, kind of a, it's not shown, but when, he, when I thought back to it, I thought, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's really traumatizing to have witnessed, to have seen that as well. That was an interesting point that the filmmakers did. Well, it really drives the point that maybe it's a witch hunt too, because... It's not like any of these townsfolk have power or experience in restraining someone who can channel the one power. I, exactly. I would, I, I would think like, he would have escaped if he could. Yeah, because the, the thought that I was having is is not to even just escape. The the it, one of the things that always got me about the Salem witch trials was the the whole idea of if that was actually the all powerful being that you're claiming that that person is. Why are you not afraid that they're just going to turn and send lightning through your body? Like the people never seem to be afraid of these all powerful beings that they're trying to get rid of. Um, which to an extent, had I seen this first, like before the show, mm -hmm. had I watched this, I think I would have had a much more positive view of the Aes Sedai. Whereas I think I have more of a neutral with the series now, like there's good, there's mm -hmm. bad. But mm -hmm. to a certain extent, as uh, Samari was pointing out, if they do this to anybody that channels in any way. Now the Aes Sedai are kind of coming in, even if it's a person, they even describe it as gentling them. Like, that sounds a lot better than getting your head squished in. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know better now having seen the series, but my initial feeling would be like, oh, so the Aes Sedai are going out and finding people before everybody kills them. Okay, so the Aes Sedai are the good guys. <laughs> like, that would have been my takeaway. Okay. And um, uh, he says, though, the man, doesn't the man say that it was an accident? So it was one, maybe just like Ruach said, there was, you know, behind the, behind the stable, something happened. It was an accident and he's not able to protect himself. Um, but I think that's such an interesting point that DW made that, you know, human beings persecute each other because they fear power. But in the moment that they're doing it, they're not worried about being, being attacked. It's almost like Valda in the show when he's, questioning Egwene he believes that she can channel but he's not actually afraid of being hurt by her if she can channel that's an interesting connection yeah yeah um and then I want to just take a moment to correct a little bit of lore that they played fast and loose with there um because Four Kings is part of Andor and is not very far from Camelin itself and uh Camelin has a very close connection to Tarvalon and there is nowhere in Andor where Aes Sedai would be unwelcome to that extent. Um, you know, there are always going to be people who don't want witches, in air quotes, around. Uh, but for the most part, they are not going to get drummed out of any towns or anything like that. They're going to be treated deferentially. So that's one way that they played fast and loose. But I could see some, say, in tier, them reacting this way. In tier, all channeling is outlawed. So... They, they seem to have pulled from a different part of the books, but they got a across the same information, I feel, and, and you guys picked up on all of that. So, 
Okay. Yeah, I was also kind of interested by the fact that that attitude towards magic users in general was not at all displayed in any of the Two Rivers folk or area that we saw in the TV show. Yeah. Um, and then uh, continuing on our our uh, journey through town here, um, we we see Rand and Matt uh, approach the outside of the inn, and they run, run into a drunk man uh, who gets a little surly with them. And uh, when Rand turns around and, and his sword is suddenly given the hero shot, uh, the, the man kind of suddenly gets very uh, uh, appeasing and, and, oh, very sorry, good sir, I'll be on my way. Uh, didn't mean anything by it. And uh, Matt starts teasing Rand like, my good sir, and bows to him. Uh, do, do we notice what happened here? Um, well, it's, it, that's uh, Tam's sword, right? Yes. He, he saw yeah. the duck blade. Didn't yeah. want to mess with the duck blade. I was like, yeah. this must be very early in the journey because both of them, Rand and Matt, clearly do not know what they're carrying, like the significance and the weight of it and what it can get them. And and also by what it can get them as in trouble. Yeah. Like I, I missed a lot of things the first time. And so the first time I was like, <laughs> oh, baby royal, he doesn't know who he is. And the second time I was like, this idiot's just flashing this sword around doesn't realize that he is like he's going oh yeah we're we have to move we have to move i think we're we've escaped enough but we still still can't stop and meanwhile he's like leaving breadcrumbs straight to like to his location he's walking around with a giant neon sign over his head (laughs) like of course you're not escaping baby (laughs) you're giving not only that he's the gunslinger in town and everybody wants to be the head gunslinger and the only way to do that is to kill the gunslinger yeah, strange gunslinger comes to town. You got to challenge him. It's 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 the rules. Well, it's, uh, one of the thoughts that I had in the previous scene when uh, Rand was wanting to stop it, it was making me kind of try and piece together whether or not Rand knew that he was the dragon. Is that part of why he wants to stop it? Is it is it kind of the Jean Valjean? Well, that's not Jean Valjean. I'm Jean Valjean. Don't kill that man because I'm who you're looking for. Uh, yeah. So, um, continuing on our story, um, <laughs> we're, we now see the interior of the inn, uh, where we see, uh, Riff Raff is sat, standing there throwing dice. Um, and where's Magenta? Uh, Magenta's <laughs> actually serving the drinks and, oh, okay. and this, this guy really is one of our local Riff Raffs. So, uh, yeah. So literally. <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> that is beautiful. I love that. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, Rand and Matt come in, and uh, Rand looks hungrily at all the food on display. Um, and it sh- goes back to uh, Riff Raff, who uh, throws the Dark One's eyes. Um, th- that's what it's called when you throw all ones. It's it's known as the Dark One's eyes. It's a losing gotcha. throw in most games. Gotcha. Um, and he looks kind of shocked. Um, then he picks up the dice and throws them a second time. Um, and it... it once again comes up with the Dark One's eyes, and they all land exactly on the spokes of the wheel that is etched into the table. Uh, what are we thinking of this whole interaction? Foreshadowing. I was thinking Taviran at that point. You had one, if not two, Taviran walking into the tavern, and that's part of what the Taviran are causing with the weave. Well, I mean, you just nailed it right on the head. I I, I don't think there's any more speculation to be made there. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, it, it's I have absolutely. This is just an, a, a one of the background type situations that that go on all the time that kind of indicate to Viren are nearby that if somebody knows to look for them can realize that a Taviren is nearby. You know, you see somebody throw the dark one's eyes 12 times in a row. There's probably a Taviren nearby. Something well, like that. convenient if you're trying to go undercover. Yeah. Depends on what <laughs> spot you bet on on the table. That's very true. <laughs> now I'm feeling very, very Rosencrantz and Guildenstern vibes of uh, heads, 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 heads. <laughs> Uh, so Matt, uh, looks at Rand and says, uh, you know, maybe we won't have to work for our keep, you know, let, let me go, uh, gamble. And Rand's like, no, <laughs> no, we know what happens when you gamble, Matt, you're not gambling. Uh, we're just going to do some honest work and, and get a room. And Matt's like, whatever. Okay. Boomer. Um, and Rand is like, look, if you cheat somebody in a place like this, they might get all stabby. And Matt realizes the sense in that and agrees. Uh, while they're having this discussion, the headsman returns and puts the hammer on the mantelpiece. And Matt looks at him and says, well, I think he personally is always kind of stabby. Uh, what, what are we thinking of, of everything so far? I, uh, I didn't have any specific takeaways okay. from this, okay. but no, it makes no, me worry that I missed something. No, no, you didn't. I was just wondering. If, <laughs> sometimes I just check to see if you guys found something okay. that I didn't. Okay. So, yeah. you, you, um, you're being like a DM who rolls dice for no reason just to keep everybody wondering. Yes, exactly. That's, that's gotcha. exactly what's going on here. Um, I, I do okay. have a slight something, because you've mentioned that in the books they visit several of these small towns along the way. Uh -huh. And it interests me that is this the reaction they get every time they walk into one? And that's probably not something that they're inherently used to yeah. having, having people to look at them that strangely. Yeah, very much so. Um, and, uh, so, so they go to the innkeeper and the innkeeper is like, yo, you, know, you need to buy a beer GTFO. And Rand, Rand just looks at the innkeeper and he's like, hey, look, I can blow real good and my friend plays with balls. Uh, could that earn us a room for the night? Um, yeah, a lot of places. But I, I, I'm pretty sure the innkeeper was disappointed when he found out what they were actually going to do. Uh, yeah, so the, the barkeeper is like, look, I've already got a blower. I don't need another blower. And, and uh, the, the exceptionally awesome waitress, I might add. Uh, says, uh, <laughs> your blower's been strung out for two days. And, uh, so the, the innkeeper, um, he, he does something that pretty much says he's asks for a stabbing. Um, yeah, he, he, he knocks her down, doubles down by docking her for his actions, just like the patriarchy. There we go. Woo -woo. That's yeah. a better joke. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so he agrees to let them, let them entertain the crowd. And he says, you don't have to be good. Sloppy is fine for this crowd. You'll find a place in the back for, and food when the bar closes. Um, and Rand is, Rand was like, no, 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 that, that's not good enough. We're going to get tired if we don't have food. So food now and bed later and guys like, okay, whatever. Um, and, uh, Riff Raff rolls the dice again and they come out in a tower. I got to tell you, my first sight of Riff Raff, though, I was really disappointed with the Tom casting. I don't think any of us fo followed you into that joke. What? That it's not Tom. 
When I first saw that, I thought that was Tom. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> I was very disappointed with the Tom casting. <laughs> I, I was kind of disappointed we didn't see Tom in this little mess. Well, realizing where we were, I didn't think we were necessarily going to. But I don't know. So so speaking of that, realizing where you were, where, where in the storyline do you think this is? Right after the split up. Which split up? Uh, Perrin and um, Egwene went off on their own, and Tom and Matt went off on their own before they all reunite in the city. Yeah, but they meet Tom at the Four Kings Inn. It's not the same city, but it's the same place in quotation marks. So I was kind of ah. expecting it. But it's it's also not the same bar, and I had a feeling that that was probably somewhat popular, like or important. I I I, I uh, was wondering if anybody was going to pick that one up, but yeah, David, uh, the the bar in the actual television series is named after the town of Four Kings, where the similar actions happened in the books. Um, but I'll, I'll let you in on a little bit of a difference between the books and the show right now in order to help explain where this takes place in, in, in relation to everything. Sure. Uh, Tom is actually with the party from Emmons Field. Oh. In, in the books, he was actually hired to come to town for Winter's Night at, as a performer. And he leaves with the party when they leave town. Uh-huh. Um, he, he travels with them through Shadow Logoth, and he ends up with Matt and Rand when they leave Matt, Shadow Logoth. And the, the discussion at the beginning of this, this little uh, um, show about what happened back in Whitebridge, that is where Tom stands up to the, the Fade for gotcha. them to get away. Gotcha. So they kind of messed with the timeline of things a little bit, but got all the same high points into the story. Okay. So this, this is more when they're like the time frame of when they're traveling with that road caravan in the TV yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And also, um, um, Rand is playing Tom's flute. So yeah. when they were traveling together, Tom oh. taught Matt how to juggle and he taught Rand how to play the flute. And when he, when he mm-hmm. faces the fade and he shouts to them to run, he gives them his, he throws his stuff to them. So they've got Tom's gotcha. things with them as they're traveling. So, this so is they're how playing they... with his, yeah. his yeah. balls and. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was wondering where those skills came from. Yeah. So yeah, that, that this, they kind of uh, several ends along the way kind of stop and, and play the flute and juggle for, or their their meals and actually uh the grinwell farm that we remember from the show where tom uh-huh. fights the fade um that there there was no fade and the grinwells actually survive in the books uh they just stop at the grinwell farm and and they uh um they play the flute and and such for the family for fun and 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 also help with the chores around and then uh, end up getting run off in the classic farmer's daughter situation so I'm really looking forward to the multiverse crossover in Wall of Time so that Matt can see that the little girl's all right. Yes. <laughs> um, so uh, back to to the actual story that we're discussing here. Um, uh, Rand says to Matt, uh, hey, my sword is attracting attention because he knows that everybody's kind of looking at it rather greedily. And Matt's like, uh, dude, it's because your sword is sweet and everybody knows it. 
And then they go on to start performing and prove that their lie about being the best in Andor was very much a lie. Um, Still packed the say, end, though, so it doesn't um, matter. I, I love the way this they jump around and start. It's just, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's like, it, right, it's very ready? much a like vaudeville showman kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, I, I, well, it was beautifully done. Like they were about to start a fight. I can see that. Like they're about to fight their way out, and then they turn and then around, they turn around, and juggle, and play a flute. Like I, I, I kind of was like, "Well done." Well, yeah. especially us not knowing the whole fact that they were trained in those things. Like I'm not expecting them to turn around and juggle and play a flute. Like that was <laughs> totally out of left field for me. Yeah. And then next, uh, an evil carriage arrives, and uh, an evil person steps out, and he evilly walks into the bar and is evil, in case you weren't aware of what this character's motivation was supposed to be. Um, you see Rand and Matt, and they're playing for the crowd. Uh, the crowd's enjoying it. Riff Raff and the head, headsmen are, are looking shifty, but, you know, that's kind of what you expect from Riff Raff and a headsman. Uh, that's that actually that kind of sounds like it should be a new cartoon. <laughs> Riff Raff and the Headsman. headsman. Yeah. It'd be, yes, on Cartoon Network. Yeah. What are great. we gonna do tonight, Headsman? <laughs> Same thing we do every night. Try to locate the dragon. <laughs> uh so yeah. Um a little piss poor brawl kind of breaks out and uh, Riff Raff and the Hensman uh, immediately jump up and give them the heave hose. So we know that they are, they don't just look stabby, they can be stabby if they need to. Um, the evil man evils his way over to the corner and is evil with the innkeeper, who is also very evil. Um, <laughs> and Rand's like, hey, see that guy over there that's evil? And Matt's like, what? There's an evil guy? What? <laughs> Rand's like, the evil one right there. Uh, he's like, I saw that evil guy in Whitebridge when the Fade attacked us. Wait a minute. Rand's that observant? When did this happen? <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> uh, so Rand and Matt are both like, uh, yeah, let's bounce. Uh, the headsmen and Riff Raff are immediately at the stage like, uh, no, we're we're taking you to your room now. That That's where Master Hake says to take you. Um. And Riff Raff says to uh, Rand, oh, is that your grandma's sword? And Rand's like, nuh-uh. It's my daddy's. Uh, so they, they show them into the storeroom where they're going to be staying for the night. Uh, the door is very heavy, barred from the outside. And, and when they investigate, the windows are also barred over. Uh, they realize they are screwed and the, they're going to be, the, the uh, riffraff and the headsmen are going to come for them in the middle of the night with their secret plot to take over the world and, and uh, kill the dragon. Uh, so they find a thingamabob lying around uh, to wedge the door with. Um, what, what are we thinking of, of this scene so far? Like, the entire sequence of events is utterly ridiculous to me. Not because it happened, but because they're not doing enough to escape. Like, for me, I just feel like I would have been screaming and hollering and making a scene. Like, since there's going to be a scene anyway, I'm going to make sure it's as uncomfortable for you as it is for me. And so I'm like, at any point, boys, at any point, when you're ready to, like, fight, it just take the element of surprise, because clearly they're like, these. we can take these boys, they're going to do what we say, and they do. And <laughs> 
You can't... Like, come on. It, it, don't just go into, you know, <laughs> the back that's dark and shadowy. You, you don't know the layout of this place. This is just, this is ridiculous. This is absurd. It's not like every person in this town is a dark friend. Nope. Well, I mean, it's possible, but... <laughs> um, I, I will say that oh, the God. chapter from the book is actually titled Four Kings in Shadow. That does mean everybody's a dark friend, but it does mean that there's some shadow happening there, I would say. There, there's definitely some significance. Yes. They at least have a home chapter there. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, did anybody see any uh, similarities between this and, and the show that we saw on Amazon? Oh, like the, the storehouse? Yeah, this mm -hmm. room looked very similar to what they get trapped in at the Four Kings. To, uh, what, with uh, Rand and, and Dana in the, in the room. Yeah. yeah. Though, though an interesting idea to have him fight bars instead of just a door made of really strong wood. Yeah. Um, I actually kind of, because of that scene, was expecting him to like blow the, the bars out in the same way that he like knocked the door out. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. But what we got of... was cool. Yeah. Waiting for um, that. So uh, the evil man shows up outside their door and is evil. And, uh, and, uh, with his eviling evilness. Yes. And, and the evil man says, I Sedai suck and my master rules. You want to hang out with the cool people, don't you? Why didn't you write the script? I, you know, I, I really think I should have. Because those lines would I, have been brilliant. I really give a, a certain amount of gravitas to, to the, the proceedings, I feel. Um, I just want to, I actually want to hear those lines said by that performer just to, to hear the way, the I said I suck. Uh, that performer is actually a friend of mine. He's, he's a great guy. Uh, uh, Good. And I, I could probably talk him into doing that. I'm saying for Christmas, a video of it, that'd be fine. <laughs> We should make a fan video of the fan video. <laughs> <laughs> As adapted by Ruark. A uh, quick aside, that performer I originally met when I was uh, volunteering at the local NPR station, and I used to always tell him that he reminded me ex of John Glover. Um, and and okay. yeah, he's, he still reminds me of John Glover. And he would creep me out because he would start talking like Lionel Luther to me, and, and I would just get creeped out because <laughs> you cannot trust a Luther. Don't ever trust yeah, a Luther. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. yeah, it's a name. That series made me want to, though. <laughs> uh, so uh, we see Matt, and he's uh, up against the door, and he's holding a dagger. Oh, is that the dagger? That is the dagger. This is yeah. after Shadow Logoth, so that is the dagger. I had a feeling. That's a pretty blade. Yeah. Um, the, Com compliments uh, to the weapons master on the episode. That is. I, I, that I was going to say nice they they were a little closer to the the description from the books. The description from the books to me always seems like a. Uh, um, one of those knives that you buy in a truck stop in that glass display case. You, you, guys, yes. you know the ones I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Yes. It, I own a few. Yeah. It, it reminds me of one of those, the description from the book. It's got like, you know, a snake holding a ruby on the pommel and like two more snakes coming out for the hilt and, and this curving blade doing all kinds of ridiculous things. So, yeah. It, the, it, the description I tend to give blades like that is so pretty that you ignore that it's not practical. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, very much so. That is exactly what it is. It, it's like a bat lift. It looks really cool and it's non-functional. Yes. And, 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 yeah. 
So, uh, again, we see uh, Matt holding the door with the, with the dagger and round. Uh, can can gets, I just gets, stop gets... and say how ridiculous it is that Matt can hold back three big burly dudes from opening this door? To well, the he inside. also has a thing of a bob wedged under the door. <laughs> that helps. That, and that was the thing. I thought that was really clever to use an axe wedge. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, that axe hand, the axe blade would actually function very well as and, a doorstop. And interestingly enough, it was actually an axe blade in in the the book. But what they used in the show, I have no idea what that thing is. It was weird, curvy piece of metal. I know I've seen them somewhere being used for something, but I could not tell you what. I thought at one point I saw an axe blade because I saw the handle. Uh, I thought uh. it was such a suspension of disbelief for me, like yeah. way bad, like. The whole conversation at the doorway and the the amount that they have wedged open, it's like a lot of people could fit through that space. Like you can't get another <laughs> inch with two guys on the door. Come on. But you cannot see the drama of the guy peeking through and threatening them if they don't open the door <laughs> wide enough to do it. So you've got to let them get it at least wide enough to get their dra- dramatic gesture in. And then you... <laughs> I, I, I got the reasoning. It was just so <laughs> unbelievable for me. And, well, trying to light somebody also through a door crack is really difficult. Yeah. So for the, the filmmakers, I'm sure had problems making them look ominous enough through a sliver of door. Yeah, that's, that's a tricky <laughs> staging in general, having two conversations ab- about a door. Split screen. Right? Split screen. Gee, I wonder why they changed it for the Amazon so. show. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so for the third time, we go to Matt holding the door and the dagger, and uh, Rand decides to just uh, walk across the room towards the other side, and he shuffles his feet on the floor and reaches out and touches the bars and gets shocked. Um, and then everybody wakes up. A little while later, well, Rand and Matt wake up a little while later. I just get why you said shuffles his feet on the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that was a static electricity and touching the doorknob joke. I get it now, but at first I'm like, no, he was over there trying to... Oh, oh, I get it. Oh, I Again, I think I see so why slow. they changed the scene Sunday a little. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little more of a dead giveaway when, when Rand calls down lightning than when Rand just, you know, gets, gets a... a, a you know, mama bear strength for a moment and crashes through a door for sure. And was it lightning in the book? It was lightning in the book. Yes. The, the, the scene okay. was, was very, very almost exactly what you see on, on screen there. Gotcha. Um, you know, it, it, it obviously was cut for time because if they did Robert Jordan scene, it would have lasted 45 minutes, just that one <laughs> scene. But yeah, it, it, cause they would have had to describe the bars. Very much so. <laughs> Well, they would have had to have a long, lingering shot on everything that was described in the book. And... Is that the is that the film version of of describing it for eight, eight pages? Is you just leave the camera on <laughs> yes, it for eight minutes? Yes. <laughs> I want to know why um, Matt wake Matt wakes up with a bucket on his head. <laughs> that was an interesting interesting touch there. <laughs> <laughs> very very Matt as well. <laughs> Sometimes you just go for the comedy beat and and don't worry about the how. He couldn't find so, sand to stick his head into, so he picked yeah. the bucket instead. <laughs> that works. I, I think Rand woke up early, went over, put the bucket on Matt, and then like went back and lied back down. <laughs> Quick I like that too. <laughs> 
so uh, they wake up a little while later and uh, Rand uh, says to Matt, well, a random lightning strike happened and killed the guys that were after us and left us alive in a, with an escape route. How fortunate. And Matt says, what? Rand responds, what? And it turns into an Abbott and Costello routine. <laughs> yeah, that, that was about the level of, of laughter that joke deserved. Uh, <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> I didn't mind it. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, 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 the oh, delivery that, on that. Oh, wow. That, oh, wow. That, I, I, that had the whole bless your heart tone to it and everything. That was right there. Wow. You know, it's bad when the burn on the joke is a better laugh than the joke. It's better is than the spell. joke. Yeah, yeah. I'm just amazed that much heat could be sent through a microphone. <laughs> Oh, uh, so uh, we we see them escape out through this hole and and run off into the the darkness, and uh, we go back to the the front of the inn, and we see uh, a, a familiar black cloak show up and start walking through, and the fade walks through and gets all stabby as we have known fades to get, um, and follows them out the back door and presumably follows them down the road. Um, and we get the final rollout, which it was not the beginning, but it was a beginning. I thought it was nicely done. Mm-hmm. That town had a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The blacksmith really had a bad day. Hey, have you heard about our sponsor, Four Cats Boutique? So I just pulled up their website to have a look right now, and I am seeing bookmarks, earrings, uh, jewelry, pr art prints, um, cards. I see uh, Fantastic Four. I see Moon Knight. Wheel of Time is here. Star Wars. Lots and lots of fandoms. Lots of really gorgeous artwork. Lots of collectibles. Things to hang on your wall. Definitely a site worth checking out. And of course, Lord of the Ring things as well. So definitely check them out. That's Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's number four, cats with a K, number four, Four Cats Boutique. Check them out. I have new respect for DW's job. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to uh, uh, hear from you the, the, the similarities and contrasts that you noticed between this and, and the Amazon series. Well, I'll, I'll mention one of the contrasts is the attention to the blade that I don't feel like we got more information, I think, from you. We all noticed the heron, yeah. you know, on the blade, but we didn't really, like, know that it carried specific weight. I, I, I believe I, in early episodes, was comparing it to uh, Hitori Hanzo. Yeah. So it was yeah. made by somebody specific. Um, but the, the reverence it demanded was interesting. And I, I felt that uh, that the uh, fan film actually did a better job of playing that up. And and I think I can understand that difference because if if there were people already kind of paying that kind of deference to Rand from the very beginning, um, I, I, it would have been less of a mystery who the dragon was. It would have destroyed our Voltron theory, yeah. <laughs> which we're still holding on to. <laughs> I don't blame you for holding on to that theory. No. <laughs> I, I just hope that there's a Voltron payoff for you guys somewhere. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, also contrast to the performance side of uh, Matt and Rand. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen anything remotely like that. It, it, you know, it, it would have given them an interesting levity 
for the series. But, but with Matt, Matt was so distraught and broken the whole time that just watching him juggle for five minutes may, might have made me not like worry that he's going to go in a back room and off himself. Yeah. 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 Very much so. Matt, Matt in the show is definitely much more of a sad sack than, than Matt in the, in the series or, or in, in the books, I should say. I feel like the character beats of Matt Rand and the dark friends were very similar to what we see and experience in the TV show. Um, you get, like I mentioned before that real, um, attention to being comfortable as opposed to being careful from, from Matt and Rand kind of seems to be the, I'm a little bit uncertain, but I'm also going to still be the leader because I know I have to. Um, and then for the dark friends, you really get that just almost blind, purpose and ability to say just the right things at the right time. And do we see anything into that ability to say just the right thing at the right time? Yeah. I say if you, if you're being told in your dreams, this is what you have to say. I mean, you dream every night, presumably. So there's always a pretty quick update on everything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The communication network is quick. And there doesn't seem to be any pushback against it. Like, you know, when you're in a team meeting at work, there's always that one person. It doesn't have to be the same person, but that one person who's like, mm, well, do we have to do it that way? And it's like none of that going on with the dark friends. Um, and I just find it interesting how quick they like they like dark friends tend to when it comes at least when it comes to Rand and Matt, try to like coax them and convince them. And then they're like, screw it. And then just go like straight to like, I will just come get you whether you like it or not. Like, and since I can't like at least do it the easy way, I'll just, you know, make it painful and that will be fun for us. And I feel like that kind of informs them as characters too, because if the sales pitch is always talking to them and convincing them with exactly what they want to hear the first time around, you're going to get a large army that always has that purpose ahead of them. And as opposed to having the dissenters, like you were mentioning. So in the, in this ep episode, which is very faithful to the chapter in the books, we have potentially four dark friends. You've got the innkeeper, Samuel Hake, you've got the, the evil Lord, Howell Goad, and then you've got the two henchmen. How do we feel about the four these four men being replaced by Dana in the show? I hadn't thought about that. I think it makes Dana badass. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> she would have kicked in that door. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't need to kick in the door. She no, was already, she on, the was already on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was smart enough to separate them. Oh, yeah. I think it's more effective. Like not e like not only like her gender. Um but also, like, one person is a lot less suspicious than four. Yeah. Well, the the other thing is, like, her taking them to the room didn't seem like something was wrong. From the minute those guys started talking, you're like, don't trust them. Don't, yeah. why, why, are you, why are you going to the room they're taking you to? Like, it's clear they are not your friends. And it, it's interesting, and I don't know, I don't know that I see that that difference is because of gender necessarily. I mean, it's cool that they did that from a gender empowerment standpoint, but 
I think it's probably more that they took four really brutish characters that were very obviously evil and rolled that task into one person who is more uh conniving more more, yeah definitely more capable uh but has those skills of manipulation and subtlety that so so she doesn't just roll up and is evil and evilly walks over to be (laughs) no no menacing carriages and no uh no front lit uh back cameras for her yeah but it, it wasn't until Ruak was describing the scenes that I realized, you know, I mean, they're obviously being uh, exaggerating, but actually it's not that big an exaggeration, But it because re- it really is like that in the book. There's a lot more description, yeah. right? Yeah. But when you condense it, you realize there's, com- there's complete lack of subtlety in the whole experience. And for me, this is one of my favorite parts of the show was this, how they condensed everything that happens you know, in Four Kings, and they end up with it being Green Springs. But then you notice that the inn is called Four Kings. They have these connections for the eagle-eyed fans who are watching. But then for us, Dana was such a shock. Like, you know, when we we were thinking about changes that might happen, that one for, I, you know, I want to, I don't know, maybe every fan out there, we just really didn't see that coming. So that was amazing that we were all waiting you know, we're thinking at some point we're going to get four kings. At some point we're going to get the skinny innkeeper and we're going to know. But then when this happened, it was like, wow, she was just fantastic. Oh, that's right. You, I had forgotten about that. This was our first run in in the books with a skinny innkeeper. Which and, is and... where you get the line, <laughs> never trust a skinny innkeeper. <laughs> uh, the other thing is, and I just barely thought about it, is if we had gotten this view of dark friends in the show, I don't think I would be concerned or worried about dark friends because it would seem like they're just this overt. They're almost like bumbling groove. Yeah. It's just like banana. <laughs> <laughs> but now we have this view of dark friends of this is a normal person living their everyday life. And not only that, we get a personal deep dive into why they're a dark friend, which makes it even more convincing that there's this duality of, well, do we really know which side is the right side? And so it makes the organization of dark friends much more menacing, much more um, in the shadows, no pun intended, um, (laughs) much harder to detect in the show. So now when you come up on a character you've never met before, you have that question. Is this a dark friend? Isn't it a dark friend? We don't know now. Yeah. Or you get someone like Pat and Fane who they've known their entire lives. Is he a good guy? No, not really, but you're used to them. And so like you get this undercurrent of like, you're just kind of used to if not dark friend, then just kind of something negative going on. And so yeah like you're used to just the energy like that that kind of person brings and so you get complacent like you're not going it makes it a lot harder to like question something and if you do people are going to be like why are you tripping like you're seeing things like it just it makes people a lot easier to take advantage of and if you're the one who's on the run from dark friends if you're you know trying to survive and get trained up long enough to you know take on the dark one it like spending all of your time and energy 
like on high alert, like being suspicious of people, always wondering what's going on, who's who, like that it weakens your defenses. Um, it weakens like your number of allies because people who would potentially be on your side and fight for your cause, they're like, okay, but you're always saying something crazy. Like it's a very like boy cries wolf, except for, you know, the act boys actually seeing the wolf, but nobody else does. It's, it's a lot. Mm. So yeah, yeah, if I had I, seen this portrayal first, I probably would have been like, eh. And I think when we did the, um, we did the deep dive on Dana. I think I shared that my friend, my friend's feedback from watching that episode was, well, I would have, I would have gone with her. She makes sense. Like her reasons for yeah. why, you know, we need to break the wheel because of all the pain and suffering because it is so well done. And something just occurred to me, you know, we get a lot of, um, we hear a lot of complaints um, from the book readers about changes that they've made in the show. I haven't yet come across anyone complaining about this change because it's so well done you know like dana as the dark friend was yeah. so phenomenal and it it kind of rectified all the issues that samaria and david have just spoken about you know about you know dark friends being quite kind of you know pathetic and bumbling and not very you know effectual whereas dana was was pretty fantastic you know like yeah. toward until the end it was tom who really saved the day um so yeah, it's an interesting point. I want I want us to go back now and see if anyone has actually complained about this really good change to the story and really strengthens the underlying themes of it about what is what is good, what is bad, what are people searching for. I was just gonna say it also seems to um, the the fact that Rand breaking open the door doesn't automatically mean their escape also kind of underlies the whole like just because he even if he, even if you started to assume that that many had attachment to the source. That doesn't mean you get away. And so Tom saving them kind of, whereas he summoned lightning, blew up everything and like, well, we woke up fine. Let's go. And nobody else got up in time. <laughs> uh, no, I want to go back to something uh, Simon said earlier about the book readers, like not really expecting what happened with with uh, Dana and Four Kings. And yeah, I, I was exactly that way. Um, like when they walked into the inn and then they saw Tom, I thought maybe we were kind of heading down this storyline, but I thought it would continue elsewhere. I thought, um, and then when she, she showed Rand the room, I figured, Oh, this is the room, but she's going to leave them in there. And then some big burly guys are going to come back later <laughs> and then we'll get the lightning strike and blah, 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 blah. And then it immediately turned around to, you know, she tries to seduce him and then it's just like, ah, screw it. I'm evil. And, and, it, it caught me completely by surprise. And that's something that I have to say I, I love about this adaptation is it hits all the same story beats. It feels very much the same. It, it, it knows the core part of the story and then it condenses it and, and makes it, you know, condenses it so that it works in an eight hour season. And, and, the way they are doing it is so beautiful and I'm loving it. And, and, you know, like, like you were saying earlier, the, the, the dark friends in, in, uh, the books are kind of bumbling idiots, um, at least at the beginning. Um, and, and there's a lot of them and, and we just get this one distilled dark friend in the first season in Dana. And she just shows exactly what it is to be a dark friend 
and, and make it, and, and not just what it is to be a dark friend, but make it sympathetic. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that is just great writing on, on the show runner's part. I just realized that the TV show doesn't use the mirror draw for suspense at all in that scene. That's all Dana. Yeah. Cause we're far removed from the mirror draw attacking them in two rivers. It's been a long time since they've seen one. So all of the suspense from this comes directly from the dark friend in this case. Well, and, and looking at it from a writer's perspective, um, at the time that Robert Jordan wrote the books, and p- presumably they just utilized that for this uh, this fan film, there was not a lot of layers to villains. That's a somewhat recent development. I mean, there's the occasional like gem you find, and there may be like within different villains of of uh, Wheel of Time even, but the general villain was usually done comically to kind of help ease people about the fact that we're showing you evil. Whereas in recent times, we've got no evil is something that you need to show as potentially your next door neighbor. We didn't yeah. have, and that's a that's a somewhat recent development. No fearmonger and Thanos was right T-shirts back then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So any other thoughts in relation to, to the lore that was ex- explored or the, the similarities to, to the Amazon series? The only other thought I keep having is from those pictures of the Midral, like that, that is clearly Jon Snow joining the uh, Wheel of Time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, was Jon Snow based upon the Midral? <laughs> there you go. Just want to say chicken or egg. Yeah, we we the time came first. Oh, oh we 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 will be pointing out when many things that that showed up in Game of Thrones originally showed up in Wheel of Time when they when they occur. <laughs> I guarantee. Um. So I, what I noticed, um, I think it hit me this time around when I was watching it that um, in the books, Jordan, as with everything, spends a lot of time describing um, the sign outside each inn. And there's always some kind of interesting innuendo inferred with a lot of the (laughs) signs, Um, which I'm sure we will come to in later seasons as well. But this one, yeah, uh, this one uh, was not sexual. uh, But I remember thinking when I read the dancing Cartman, I had a different image in my head. But the sign for this, the visual sign made me realize what the other meaning for that could be. And I just thought it's quite funny that, you know, it's the hanging sign outside the inn and it's a, a, a hung cartman. Um, so I thought that wasn't now when I when I'm going to go back and read the books, I'm going to see it as another sign that Jordan had put in there of danger here, danger in this inn, because, uh, you know, interesting. you walk in, you're going to come out dead. So I thought that was that was an interesting visual <laughs> cue there. Yeah, a lot of those signs and pub names had like. Some, sometimes not just double entendre, but triple and quadruple entendre that meant so many different things. Uh, this bit, I don't know, you can decide if you want to keep it in or not. Um, I just wanted to share that it is directly following the final scene of this fan film that the next stretch is my favourite part of book one, which is Rand and Matt on the road. And um, so at the end, when they, you know, they make a joke out of out of it that they can't hear each other but basically the lightning flash temporarily blinds matt and so rand's looking after him on the road and then something else happens 
So Rand, Rand looks after Matt and then something happens when Matt recovers and he ends up looking after Rand. And for me, those were the most beautiful. Actually, it's the points, the two points I cry every time I read the book. And when I listen to the book, I cried a, a lot more because it just was more powerful hearing it. Um, and it's such a beautiful example of the friendship between the characters. Um, so I just wanted to, I just like, oh, it's my favorite bit coming up, but we don't see that. Yeah, yeah I was, I was going to say that is something I saw that was a little bit missing from the Amazon show, just, just simply because we didn't have the time for it was yeah. those little character moments, you know, Rand and Matt on the road. It, it, it didn't advance the plot in any major way, but it was such great character moments of seeing how much these two characters really love and care and trust each other. And yeah. Um, like I said, we, we, we see those, those pop up all the time in the Amazon show, but we don't get nearly as many of them as we do in the books, just simply from time constraints. A check mark for having both types of media to explore the story. Hey everybody, Ruark here. I just wanted to tell you guys a little bit about the Watch Party Podcasting Network. Now, I know you've heard us say thanks to Michael and Jen at the end of every episode. Well, Michael and Jen are the people who started the Watch Party Podcast Network, and they have a wonderful, wonderful podcast known as Watch Party Lord of the Rings, all about the upcoming Lord of the Rings TV series on Amazon Prime. And, well, frankly, just about anything else that has to do with Lord of the Rings as well. They they dive really deep into a lot of Tolkien's lore and in, in much the same way that we do on this show. Uh, so you'll want to check that out, especially if you're a big Lord of the Rings fan. And then coming soon, we're going to have a House of the Dragon podcast for the new uh, House of the Dragon Game of Thrones show coming out on HBO Max. That should be debuting soon. So, uh, yeah, just check it out right here on the Watch Party Podcasting Network. Stick with us. We've got some good stuff coming. And coming back from break, uh, we've, we've got through our main topic today a little quicker than, than usual because we have a smaller crew than usual. Uh, but that just means we have time to play a round of... Wheel of time. I have no idea how that's going to sound with my my lagging. <laughs> that's, that's okay. Last last okay. time it sounded horrible, and I had to like go in and actually move everybody's audio around to make a sound in sync. So I will try that this time. Oh, but I, we may I want to do this nothing. again. Because I, for the fun of it, was saying the wrong words in the wrong order. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. We're keeping it as is. We can do it again. We're riding with Start it. Start and go from there. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, as we all know, Wheel of Wheel of Time, the game show where the questions might not make sense the answers definitely shouldn't make sense and the points really don't matter or and really don't make sense uh so we're just going to go through ask each of you one question and then ask one question of all of you i will take the first question um and this one is for david woohoo what is the honorific term for warder? No, no, I hear you clicking. I, 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 I'll be so I, impressed with anyone that gets this. Ugh. Overly connected. 
I'll give you three points for that. Uh, Samaria and DW, uh, any answers? What is the honorific for warder? Mm, this is shameful. I didn't know they had one. I, I can tell you, I definitely talked about this during one of the, um, one of the discussions of the x-ray content. Well, this is shameful because we weren't paying attention. <laughs> At all. <laughs> no, I don't have it. No, no good jokes, anything? Nothing? I, I, yeah, I, I think my brain is so trying to tra crack for what it was that I'm not accessing the funny part of my brain. That was my thought process. It was like, <laughs> uh, oh, oh, I, I, do I know the answer? No, wait, no, I definitely don't know that's Okay, quick, come up with a funny answer now. Uh, no, no, that's not coming either. Okay, go back to an easy answer. I, I, I Part of me wanted to start with Sarah, but I know that's what... Uh, uh, Game of Thrones, but since they stole so much from Wheel of Time, maybe it's still Sare? Uh, I will give you uh, three speculative points for that very <laughs> speculative answer. Um, the answer is Gaideen. Oh, I remember that now. Oh, that's embarrassing. I do. I do remember that. So it would be uh, Lan Gaideen or, or Stepin Gaideen. Much like yeah. it would be Moraine Sedai or Leandrin Sedai. No, no, I, I do remember that being utilized. I don't know that I caught that that was the honorific as much as just a like. Um, and and something that that's really cute online. The a lot of the uh, um, Aes Sedai and Warders actors continue that relationship off screen and Aww. and like uh, Moraine or uh, um. Who plays Moraine again? Um, Rosamund Pike. Rosamund. Rosamund Pike, thank you. I don't know why her, her name just blanked on me. Uh, but yeah, like Rosamund Pike, uh, anytime she refers to to Daniel Henny online, she she usually says something like Mike Ideen or something like that. And, and it's just, it's adorable. Aww. That's sweet. Okie dokie. So for Samaria, what's the name of Egwene's favorite book? Oh, man. <laughs> Oh, I know what this book's about. And I'm like, it's not Joan of Arc. It goes on an adventure. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you two points yeah. for having the first letter correct. She didn't know. Jenny's the dog. <laughs> I, I, we will just give it to you if you get the name of the author, who, which is also in the title of the book. Oh, my gosh. It's Jane. Jane something or another. Yeah. All I remember. Okay, I will give you ten points for Jane something or another because honestly, <laughs> that's that's as close as anything else. It's uh, Jane Farstrider. The adventure of Jane, not a girl, unfortunately, Farstrider. The travels of Jane Farstrider. Oh, travels! Dang it! I was so confident. J a i n. Yeah. Well, you get minus five points for overconfidence. <laughs> 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 Funny enough, uh, something or another is actually an anagram of Farstrider. It's, it, oh, oh, wow. Yeah, if you, that's, if, that's if you match it out, Samari was just out showing all of us. On no, I, I think something or another is the old tongue for, for, for oh, Farstrider. Is that it? Yeah. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, they're, just add a few apostrophes in there somewhere and it's old tongue. They changed it when they got to Four Kings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one uh, for DW. Name two fruits that Alana prefers? I want to say 
I don't know why I want to say it because I don't necessarily remember, but I'm going to go with the ones that are popping in my head. Pomegranate and, sure, peach. Oh. Oh. You, wow. <laughs> you know you know how you have this thing about just sticking your foot into things, DW? <laughs> I know. You, you just Bare stuck your foot. You just stuck your foot into a big thing right here. Um, and, and this isn't something that's going to come up in the show, I'm sure. Uh, but so I'll tell you what you just stuck your foot in. You never um, know. But, but first, first, I'm going to award your points and I'm going to give you uh, five points for being correct in, in the pomegranate because absolutely that sounds like something that Alana would eat, even though we haven't witnessed her do it. Um, <laughs> And I'm going to give you a gold star point for saying peach Ooh. and then give you two negative gold star points and I'll tell you why. So you're, at, <laughs> so you're actually now at a negative gold star point. Yes. Uh, the reason is Robert Jordan grew up in the South. Okay. Where peaches are everywhere. Oh, yeah. Well, they sure are. Every street. Peach Street on the corner yeah. of Peach Street and Peach Avenue. Robert Jordan hated peaches <laughs> so, in so, his, so one fruit she didn't like <laughs> so in his world peaches are poisonous god wow there's, there's actually a saying in world sure as peaches are poison insert thing that you're absolutely sure of here wow now i need to go find like a farmer on the side of the road like selling some peaches today but um <laughs> Yeah. I thought yeah. you needed to okay. open a stand called Poisonous Peaches. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, at, at the end of that round, DW stands with negative one star point, shiny gold star point for, for mention of peaches. Yes, I'm one, star, one gold star point behind everybody else. Yes. So you're really not that, that bad off, <laughs> no. if you really think about it. You're, you're almost caught up. I was going to say that she enjoys the fruits of her warders. And that was the answer we were looking for. The two fruits that Alana prefers are Yvonne and Moxine. Uh, I, I will nice. give you uh, uh, one purple point for that, for getting the, Ooh, the answer down. Purple point. Down the it's the only purple point awarded this game. Yes. Um, and Saima, do you have one more question for all three of our panelists? How many dice did Matt roll in episode one? In, at one time. I'm going to go with five. I'm going to say certainly none of the ones he wanted to. <laughs> so That's I'm, not true. Sometimes not rolling all the ones you wanted to can still get you a good hand. Your answer, Samaria? Two. Well, I think David gets the most points, but DW was the closest with five because he actually rolled four. But four. Mm. bonus, how many total pips? There's, there's only one Pips. <laughs> Sorry. That's a joke for the people who've read the books. Connected to Matt. <laughs> yes. I'll go with five. I'm going to say six. Samaria? Seven. And David's Without going it over. with six. <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> Love speculative points. <laughs> Yeah, speculative points for speculative answers. That's how it works here. Um, so at the end of that one quick round, uh, it looks like Samaria won. 
<laughs> just, just because Samari is my favorite, I've never tried to claim anything else. I, so. I believe most of our listeners agree with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Finally. Middle school me is very proud of this. <laughs> I, I, I will send you a, in, in a certificate suitable for framing, and, and you can hang that on your wall. In proper middle school style. Yes. Hell yeah. Um, and since we got that that uh, out of the way, let's go ahead and uh, get to mailbag. It's mailbag. Mailbag. Wow, that was almost in harmony. <laughs> I was trying to make it really bland because we did the full harmony for Wheel of Wheel of Time. <laughs> oh, oh, is that what that was? <laughs> That's what that was that harmony. Was. Har- harmony. <laughs> okay. Okay. Harmony. Uh, Discordant harmony. <laughs> Our mailbag today, it's uh, it's uh, Tari Sadai. She's she's writing back in again. Uh, she says, Aww. hey, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, Tari Sadai back again. I just had to write in this week because something Ruark said last episode intrigued me. They said that someone in the very first podcast episode predicted a major plot twist in book six. So, of course, I went back and listened. Um, and then she goes on to tell me what spoiler she thinks was spoiled. And then asks if she was right. Um, and I'm going to say that's a very good speculation, especially since I misspoke and there isn't anything from book six in, in there. I meant book four when I said that. <laughs> um, but that was after. Oh, now I know what we're talking about. But yeah, but that was after uh, two hours of talking with Matt Hatch and, and trying to keep that, that circus <laughs> under control. So, uh, yeah, I, I misspoke. Um, I, I think I misspoke because, uh, book six and book four tend to be two of my favorites in, in the series. Book four is definitely my favorite in the series. So I probably just got confused as to which of my favorite books it was. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's actually a, uh, the, the big, uh, plot twist from book four was, was pretty much somebody figured it out in, it was either the first or second episode, but I'm pretty sure it was the first episode of this show. You know, I'll even go so far as to say it was Axel that said it. There. Now you can figure it out. <gasps> and sorry, you got to go back and read book four and then re-listen to the first episode. Um, I, so. I would say that that nobody who has read the books past book four would have to go back to, to find this one. It is right there front and center. Right, right there front and center. Um, but I'm not going to say it about what or anything because, you know. <laughs> It's more fun to hear you guys try to figure it out. Uh, Tari Sadai goes on, says, uh, always love you guys and, and the show. Uh, always look forward to new episodes. Keep on being awesome. And we just want to say, Tari Sadai, keep on being awesome yourself. Thank you, yes, Tari Sadai. Thanks for writing. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Also, don't tell me what to do. Maybe I don't want to be awesome. <laughs> no, it's my life. I'll live it how I want. Thank you. Rark, in the time I've known you, I don't think you have a choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I, I I know many people that would disagree with you there, but that's a yes, discussion for another day. Yes, they can deal with me outside. I will step outside and deal with those people. Me outside. How about that? At, at a minimum, exactly. sensational. <laughs> okay, well, if you want to write into mailbag, you can write that to whatwatchparty at gmail.com. That's what, W-O-T, watchparty at gmail. Uh, you can find us on social media at whatwatchparty on Twitter and Instagram. And maybe look forward to a Discord server in the future. Um, so, like usual, we want to say thank you to Michael and Jen out at the Secret Secret Island headquarters. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Thank you, Michael, Michael and Jen. Thank you. 
And final question for our panel. Who would you want to play in the fan film? I, I think I'd have to be the headsman because I like playing the bad guy and uh, my size fits it. Uh, I, I think you just want to s- swing sledgehammers at watermelons. Okay, <laughs> I'll play that. I mean, I I want to swing sl- sledgehammers at watermelons. I mean, Gallagher was really onto something. He, he tapped into a primal need. Yeah, but he was kind wrong. enough to remind his front row to bring plastic sheets. <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, that would have solved the problem that Simon was mentioning of the family being there. Oh, so the family at the at the execution is supposed to, to bring the plastic sheets. <laughs> no, I think, I think if, your if your sheets. father figure of the family is being murdered there, they should provide you the sheet. Like, that should be within the town charter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that is only decent. That, that, that would be the decent way to proceed. <laughs> um, I'm going to put the head dark fiend just so that I could have delivered Rurark's version of the lines. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I actually think, uh, not, not trying to, to scratch my own back or anything, but I think I could manage a nice balance between still being Keystone Copish but having moments of actually scary. Yeah, I, I can see it. You should put that ability on your call sheet. <laughs> <laughs> on my resume, sure. <laughs> Able to be silly and scary at the same time. I would want to be the barmaid. Like, I don't like the part about getting smacked around, but the part where like, she just gets to say something and be as snarky as she wants. I love that. <laughs> that sounds like fun. I would want to be the character that you cut out. Yeah, one day, so, one day you'll so, see. So it. you want to be an unnamed character? Okay. Yeah, I want to be that person. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> doesn't mean I don't want there. one, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. They're so pretty, you ignore that they're not practical. This is going to cut my wrist if I use it, but oh, man, it looks cool. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, another quick aside. I just recently saw a video online of Ray Park. He's at a comic convention, and usually when he's at comic conventions and somebody comes up with a double-bladed lightsaber, he will take it from them and do some cool double-bladed lightsaber tricks because, you know, he was Darth Maul. And, cool, cool. and so somebody's walking by and hands him a batleth. And it is so amazing to watch Ray Park with this batleth because he like takes a, a, a you know, 30 seconds or about a minute to kind of figure out its weight and, it, and its rotation and stuff. And then he starts doing these all these crazy moves where he's like passing it behind his back and doing like this nunchuck thing where it comes up under his elbow and stuff. And, and just, yeah, it, 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 I was like, okay, well. Apparently they are actually dangerous if if somebody who knows what they're doing is using them. <laughs> it would it would be the same type of blade form because it's a two-handed Yeah, yeah. yeah two-handed exactly. barrel weapon. I I think I need to find that video. That Me too. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I think everybody out there should find that video. <laughs> and this is definitely ending up in the bloopers cuz this has nothing to do with the show. <laughs> but I I still wanted we to We hope you've enjoyed the show. Here we come to a close. Yeah, I I I did want to tell that story cuz yeah, anyway. Uh <laughs> Oh, it's my turn now, DW. 
<laughs> I've passed on the gift. <laughs> no, uh, there are times I just like to pause because sometimes somebody's just like getting their thoughts together or is waiting for a long enough pause that, you know. So. I, we recognize that you're doing that. It's just when everybody gives that same pause, it's an interesting <laughs> oh, right, right. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's yeah. just like a, is this thing still on? Did yeah. I get to skip well, well it, it's the we're not going live, so we don't have to just babble about pointless shit things, Absolutely. you know? Absolutely. Have to have at least five dead air bring-ins. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think we've touched upon. Can we speak about then Rand's reaction? Um, we... Yeah, I think we should steer away from that. <laughs> okay. 